Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and career growth to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest on the podcast today is Erica Rooney. Erica is the Chief People Officer at Acorn ICI, a keynote speaker, executive coach, and consultant, as well as a host of the podcast, from now till next. Definitely check it out. With 10 years of experience in HR, leading organizations in gender equality crusades and coaching executive women, Erica has created a framework that empowers women to get seen, get heard, and get promoted by breaking free from the sticky floors that hold us back from busting through that glass ceiling. This is going to be a very female-focused episode, and that's what Erica does best and is an absolute expert in. But it's for everybody to learn more about promoting equality um, and hopefully we can use that to build a better, more equitable workplace and a world in general. So let's get to it. Erica Rooney, welcome to the podcast. Boom. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. So let's let's get started here. And, you know, I don't like to just throw out the generic like softball question. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. But I'm going to assume that a lot of my audience is not familiar um, with your background. And uh, I want them to get you know, to know you a little bit. And, you know, you have a tenured history in HR and women's issues specifically, but like many folks, you didn't start out doing that in HR. And you went to get your your degree in bachelor's in science and health education and master's in science directly after while you were being a personal trainer all at the same time. So how the heck did we get from there to here? You know, isn't that funny? Because I never would have told you I would have ended up in HR. I probably would have told you to take a freaking hike if you had asked me if I right. would do that at that time. But I fell into fitness. I was never a super fit person, um, skinny by nature as a kid, and fell into health and wellness because it was a career when I was putting myself through college that allowed me to pick my schedule and train around my schedule, right? I didn't have mm. to work in retail or a restaurant where they were like, here's your here's when you need to clock in and clock out. I could choose the mm -hmm. clients that I would be working with in the hours. So it just worked out perfect for someone who likes to hustle. I could get up and train people at five, six, seven a.m., go to class, train somebody at lunch, go to more class, and train somebody in the evening. And I think we call that a life lifestyle lifestyle business, right? Lifestyle it, career. Perfect. I'd never heard that term, but it was perfect because I could just plug it in. And then if I needed to take a day off, I'd just let my clients know. So it gave me that autonomy that all of my friends never had, you know, loved so, it. And that translated very easily into a career that I didn't know existed, which was corporate wellness. And so when I went to the University of Florida, we were required to do a internship as our last semester. And I found an internship that allowed me to get paid and to do personal training. And so I worked for Look Verizon. 
yeah, as a health and wellness intern, right? I got to wear workout clothes to work and get paid to work out. Like, you do not have to dress up. You do not have to put on a business suit. You don't have to look fancy. You could kind of just roll out of bed there. So let me ask you this. That's a very interesting kind of opportunity, right? Because it's kind of planning both worlds and you get to experience corporate America. And I always kind of preach this too. My early internships were an incredible foundation for me because I got to learn not so much what I liked, but I also got to learn a lot what I did not like and certain things about corporate America, which later when I went on to work at a couple of big corporations like American Express and Sirius XM, I kind of knew some of those traps to avoid. But kind of looking back on it now, what do you think were were, were some of those, thank God I had that experience because I didn't like it and I can apply that now lessons? In an internship? Correct. You know what? God, my internship was amazing because my internship, like I got paid to work out. I got paid to talk to people about health and wellness. And I actually, as soon as I went back and finished my master's, I bugged my then boss for a job. So I took that exact same job fresh out of college. So I don't think I really had that. Like, I really wish I I didn't do this or, I, you know, some shit that I didn't love. That didn't come until really my first HR job. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll get into that in a second. So where was that first spark where you're like, you know what, like I, I'm enjoying this health and wellness kick and I'm enjoying this path in my career here, but where did that, that HR people mindset and, and, and path uh, start to show itself? I have always loved helping people. That's always been my biggest why, <clears throat> but the problem was you can only go so high in corporate wellness. And I very quickly hit that ceiling. And I right. recognized I was in my 20s. I had no room to grow anymore because I was as high as I That's could go. I, I was like, what the- I can't be at my peak at t- 27. And so that's when I started to look for different avenues and different areas that I could go. And that's when I was like, you know what the hell, I'm just going to try HR. So let's, uh, I mean, I don't want to date your, yourself here, but HR has certainly evolved over the last, you know, we'll call it um, X amount of years. Looking back on it then, I mean, and it still is to some point, like it was kind of like the, 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 the corporate police, right? Like the, or the, who do I go to for, for benefits and, and payroll kind of stuff. But, you know, what did you do to kind of up your knowledge in the world of HR or did you just jump in, you know, kind of feed first with a blindfold on? I had been in fitness and wellness for too long to just be able to jump in without having some sort of background mm-hmm. in education because I didn't want to go all the way back to an intern pay. I had a kid, you know? Of course. So I started taking some classes in human resource management and I got my certification before I ever had my first HR job. Smart. And and when you when you think about that too, it's like, all right, I could learn stuff at school, but is it really going to apply? You know, when you jumped into that HR role, um, let's talk about those early days. Was it what you expected or was it more or were you like, you know what, this is this is right on. I had no idea what to expect. And I also didn't know how crazy people could be until I got into HR. So I would say I really had no idea what I was walking into. And you're kind of like a therapist, too. You're kind of like the the uh, the. All right. Doctor patient confidentiality, let's sit down. What's going on? You know, people are airing their grievances, they're telling you what's going on in, in their life. And I think that's one of the pieces that, that we don't talk a lot about in, in HR, right? The yeah. good. Everyone thinks I'm just going to you, as I said before, to 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 be a narc or to, you know, to to complain or to quit or to ask for more money, right? But it's those conversations where you're really learning about people's lives and really understanding how much they're entwined. Right. People always say business and, 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 you know, business isn't personal, but it is. We spend almost more time of our life at work than we do 
you know, at home. Well, with our family, let's call it that in this modern age of, of, of but, but with some of those early conversations, right? Were you, did you feel like you were prepared? Was it like, this is what I want to be doing? Like, when did it hit home? Like, you know what, this is my career path. In my first job, I actually worked in a call center, which I loved because Hmm. I felt like I was truly making a difference, right? People would come to me, you're talking about being their therapist, all of that with real problems, right? And when I say real problems, I mean, these people were working hard, but they were from tough backgrounds and they would come to me and they would be like, Mm -hmm. Erica, I'm trying to figure out if I should pay my light bill or if I should feed my kids. Those are the conversations that we don't always think about depending on your socioeconomic situation where these are, these are real choices. When you come from that kind of a background to working with people who are high earners, right? who come to you and they want to complain because they weren't paying attention to their paycheck and they didn't realize that the taxes were coming out incorrectly. And now they have to pay $2,000 in a certain kind of tax that they didn't recognize. And I want to be like, yeah, I'm sorry that you make $250,000 a year and you didn't pay attention to this. Right. When I was working with people who were literally living out of their car. Yeah, true. When did you first start to recognize that there, there, there was a real uh, disparity as far as equity, um, pay, um, just the whole situation was, part of my French, fucked up in a lot of corporate America? I would say I really recognized that when I got into tech, honestly. And when I got into tech was when I recognized that, w- number one, women don't ask. They don't ask for as much as men ask for. And therefore, they don't typically get as much as men get because they didn't ask for it. And then the second piece of it is that's when I really started recognizing the employer's responsibility to push that and to make sure that you are maintaining equity. That's a really interesting point, too. And let's kind of break that down a little bit because there's there's kind of two sides to it, too. If you're a smaller business owner and it's like, all right, well, if they're not asking for it, I'm not going to give it to them. We're in a capitalistic society, right? So I, I want to say this very empathetically and softly. Like, part of me understands that a little bit from a business perspective, sure. but not from a gender equity perspective, right? Like, okay, if you're not asking for something, I'm not going to, if someone's not asking me for a raise, but on the flip side of it, right? Like, we think about equality, right? Like, why should a man in the same exact position as a woman be getting paid less? Right. So we have to take that responsibility to ensure that all voices are being heard and especially amplifying voices that are quiet. And I think that's really the 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 core point there. How did you approach and coach women who maybe came to you and said, hey, Erica, like, I, I don't know how to ask for a raise. I feel like I, I don't deserve it or I don't feel like I, I could I feel like I deserve it, but I don't know how to like position my voice. Like, how did those conversations go? Well, those are hard. Yeah, a lot of women don't even know that there are different things that they can ask for. For example, I just coached a woman the other day and I was she had a, a job offer. I did a very quick Google search on what the actual pay range for that role was. Found out she was being offered towards the lower end, which is not surprising. But I was like, all right, you're going right. to go in, you're going to ask for more money, you're going to ask for more PTO, and you're even going to ask them to pay a portion of your benefits. And they, this person was like, I... I can do that. Like, I don't think they're going to give it to me. And I was like, doesn't matter. Like you are still going to ask because truth of the matter is being in HR, they likely will not do anything with that benefit piece of it. But if you're asking for three things and they can't give you one, that means they can focus in on the other two. So a lot of them is just giving the confidence. Oh yeah. It's a total power move. 
you know, but giving them the confidence because women are so culturally programmed to want to make it a winning solution for all. Mm-hmm. Right. And no, so women are usually in, solutionists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas men are like, Hey, I'm in it to win it. Like I am the star player. Let's go in because that's how they're taught. Right. Think about little girls sit down and they all do. And this is going to be very like very generalistic. So I don't want people coming for me, but little girls sit down. They all play dolls together. Everybody's having a good time. Boys are rough and tumble out there going hard on the basketball court, winning or losing all the time. Girls don't get exposed to that winning and losing at the very beginning. Like the boys do. Right. So then the boys go into corporate America and they're like, I'm here to win. Let's go. And the girls are more like, how can we all have a good time? Like, how can we all win? That's it. That's an interesting point here. So let's make a little bit of a left turn and unpack that a little bit. So I have I have a, a son and a daughter. I have an older. Uh-huh. My daughter is almost 11 and my son is almost five. And my wife and I, my wife is a, a very strong, um, confident professional. She's a corporate real estate attorney. This is what she does for a living. So we instilled with our kids, both of them early on, that like, you're going to lose. And we let our kids lose early on in games and we try to make them competitive. And we like, I don't believe in participation trophies or any of that bullshit, right? I think kids need to learn that there's going to be a first place and then there's everything else. And that's just a matter of fact of life. And the sooner they learn that, the better. And I think more of us as parents need to enlist that. Like, obviously, we're going to do it with empathy and care. We're going to have a soft landing for them. We're going to provide a safety net when when possible. But I think it's important at an early stage to let our kids fail, let them fall, let them get hurt, let them feel certain levels of pain. We can't just keep coddling them all the time. What are your thoughts? My, so I also have a boy and a girl. My son is about to be eight and my daughter is about to be five. So kind of right along there with you. My favorite thing to do with my kids, especially my son, who's very much into sports I encourage him to train, to work out when it's not practice time. This is how you get better. This is how you get stronger, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants to do the work, right? If if it could just be given to us, we would do that. So, of course, as an eight-year-old, he's like, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. And then he shows up to these practices, and he realizes he's not the fastest kid on the team. He's mm-hmm. not the strongest kid on the team. He's not the kid then who gets to bat first or play first or all the accolades that he does want. And I'm like, well, did you do the work? And I very much try to teach that you have to put in the work to get the reward type mentality because especially nowadays, kids just think everything's given to them. Those participation trophies, all of that bullshit. Like I want him to understand that the amount of effort and work that you put into the activity is what you will get out of it. And guess what? You might you may be put in the work every single day, and you might not get first place because somebody else is putting in more than you. Hi everyone, I want to tell you about MetaView, a platform that uses AI to automatically write your interview notes for you. I've been using MetaView on my own interviews, and it's been a game changer for my efficiency and ability to have high quality conversations with candidates. I could focus on conversations rather than on taking notes. MetaView's interview summaries are purpose-built for recruiting, so they're 10x more accurate and relevant than generic transcription tools. And they work seamlessly with your existing recruiter stack, video conferencing tools, and even mobile calls, so there's no need to change your existing workflows. Join recruiters at companies like Replit, Scale, and Brex, and see the magic for yourself. Head on over to metaview.ai backslash podcast, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T, 
to get started with your first five interviews for free. Check it out. So I want to get back to your story. So after Verizon, you worked uh, in HR management for a few different companies. And most recently, you're serving as chief people officer over at Acorn ICI. And um, I listened to your show uh, next to now. And I know a huge point of your focus is progress through the next level of your career. What are what are a few of those most important things, women in particular, to make strides in their careers and, and not remain stagnant? So I want to get back to, to promotion, right? Like, how does a, a woman specifically advocate for herself in the workplace as far as advancement? And I know it's going to kind of go back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, but I want to talk specifically about promotions internally. Yeah, you have to do the work. Nobody is going to be your biggest advocate, but you. And this is, I got roasted on TikTok. I tend to embarrass myself on TikTok from time to time, but I did a TikTok where I said, if you want to get a raise, here's what you don't say, right? And this is raise, promotion, anything. And I was like, don't come at me saying that, you know, Bob next to you makes more money than you. Don't come to me saying that the market says you're worth this much money. Don't come to me and say, the cost of your eggs went up because guess what? The cost of my eggs went up too. I said, if you want to get a promotion, if you want to get an increase, if you want to get a corner office, you come to me and you tell me why you deserve it. You show me the work that you did. And when I tell you that people roasted me, they went to why? How? I don't see anything wrong. I agree with hundred percent with what you said. Type of toxic culture. You call yourself a chief people officer. My manager should know what I'm doing. You should pay me what I'm worth. All of which I agree with. Let me be very clear. I agree that your manager should know what you're doing. I agree that you should be paid what you're worth. I agree. All of those things, but you have to be your biggest self-promoter because you in reality, be. everybody else has a lot of other bullshit on their minds and you are not it. So if you, you have to be it, your own advocate, a hundred percent, but, and this is what cracks me up because this just brought me back to this damn participation trophy that you're talking about. Right. It's like, you want me to just give you more money because the market says you deserve more money. That's not the way it works. That is people. not how business works. Nope. Nope. Not, not, not at all. And I think that comes down to, and what's so interesting about that, it's, it's coaching on two levels, right? And correct me if I'm off on this one. You're, you're, you're coaching people on confidence, how to find their own inner voice and have the strength to speak up. And the other piece is giving them the, the actionable tools, the toolkit to have these conversations, how to be their best self-advocate, how to promotion, promote themselves, how to, how to frame up their accomplishments as an advancement of where they were and where they're at now and justify why they deserve that raise or promotion, right? Absolutely. And I've already said this, but like nobody is thinking about you as much as you are. Of course not. So People you need to-, to have your own little kudos file. So that every time you do something amazing, every time you've added to your toolkit, every time that you've helped somebody out, every time that you've saved the company money, process improvement, whatever, you need to put that in a file and save it so that when it comes down to it, you can be like, here is this amazing Mm -hmm. list of all the things that I have done for you. Because guess what? Some of those things over time are just small things, but they add up. And I will give you a case in point. I had a woman on my team And I was going to give her a decent raise when increased time came around. But before increased time like truly came around, she came to me with this list of everything that she did, how she added to my team, the company culture, everything. And I was like, damn, I forgot about a few of those things. And I actually went back and gave her more money. Mm -hmm. Wow. It wasn't that I wasn't going to give her a good ass raise. 
It was because she came to me with the hard facts. And I was like, oh, okay. And the fact that she showed like this initiative of I'm coming to you and I'm asking for this amount of money. This is what I think I deserve. I wasn't able to give her everything that she deserved, but I went back and gave her more. That's that's interesting and fantastic. So let's kind of play on that for a little bit. So what is a corporate environment with true gender equality look like? Like what, what, what does that look like from the top down? From the top down, you've got representation at the top, right? Number one, because I cannot stand it when decisions for women are being made when there are not women in the room. Step one, right? Same for men. You can't make decisions for men if there's no men in the room. Nope. So it has to have that representation at the top and it has to be at all of the levels, right? Cheryl Sandberg uh, used to be COO for Facebook, now Meta. She was pregnant there and it wasn't until she was having to park a mile away and, you know, waddle her way into the organization for her to say, we need pregnancy parking up front. Like I can't do this every day. We got to fix this people. There were no pregnant women at the top. It never happened. That is so interesting. Right. Like, like, I mean, you think of something so simple, right? Like it just wasn't top of mind for the men that were in the C-suite. It wasn't because they didn't care. I I assume that a bunch of them, majority of them have partners with babies and and they're, and they're empathetic. And of course it just wasn't top of mind. So representation, certain matters. There's another uh, expression that I want to get to. um, Well, let me just kind of backtrack for that for a second here. Um, Allies and crusaders, right? How important is that to have male allies and crusaders? It is extremely important because while I believe that 90% of people intend to do the right thing and intend to be good, if it is not what you said, to use your words, top of mind, they're not going to do it. But if you have somebody who has been through it, seen it, done it. Like I had a man who was a true advocate for me and he would intentionally bring me into the room when discussions that I needed to be a part of were had. And he would intentionally mentor me and and introduce me to the right people and speak up for me when my ideas were spoken, but not accredited to me. So you have to have those people to help you through any kind of organization that really isn't going to be like that for you, isn't going to do that for you. Because again, most people intend to do good. Most people are good. Of course, you have to assume that. Those little things slip up. So let me ask you this. Here's the expression I want to get. Everyone's familiar with the, with the glass ceiling for women, but what it, let's talk about this concept of sticky floors because this is the first time I'm hearing this uh, in this context. What, 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 let's break it down. What is sticky floors? Sticky floors are the limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves that keep us from from reaching our greatest potential. But in my definition of sticky floors, they are anything that is within our control. So they could be toxic behaviors like too much social media late at night, drinking too much wine every night, which leaves you not so great the next morning. To toxic behavior, or sorry, toxic relationships. Like maybe you have a spouse, a partner, a colleague, a boss that is not a hundred percent bought into what you want to do. And I, I kind of came up with this concept because it's going to take 132 years for gender pay equity occurring mm-hmm. according to the World Economic Forum, 132 years. So I'm going to be six feet under. My kids are going to be six feet under. Like that's out of my control. Okay. 
I can control how I show up at work. I can control how I advocate for myself. I can control what I do with my free time, whether I am reading books that are going to help me get smarter or whether I'm sitting scrolling through TikTok, Mm -hmm. right? I can choose to surround myself with hustlers and go-getters and people who support my dreams, or I can surround myself with naysayers. All of that is within my control. We often you know, are stuck in these sticky floors, these limiting beliefs, number one, because they're unconscious. We don't even know we're doing it, right? But they've been ingrained with us since childhood, reconfirmed over all of our life experiences, right? If you've ever had somebody tell you that you can't do something or girls can't do something, girls should be teachers and, you know, CEOs of the house and nurses and that's it. Or you have someone who's teaching you, you can do anything. You can be whatever you want to be. Like those things matter, but they become our unconscious beliefs, right? But then there are the things that we know we're doing or we know we're not doing, but we still do them anyway because they're habits, right? Okay. Like, for example, because I see the wheels turning in your brain. Have you ever said, I'm going to be healthier, like I'm gonna do the right thing this week. Of course, I say it. I say it every day, and then I completely go off the rails. Like completely and off then the rails. You, your boys call you, and they're like, "We're gonna go out for burgers and beers," yep. and you're like, "Hell yeah, me too." My 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 biggest my my biggest my biggest um well, I have lots of guilty pleasures, but one of my one of my favorite guilty pleasures is when I take either of my kids to a birthday party, and then they put the pizza out for the parents. And I'm like, I just had lunch at home, but I see, Hi. and it's not a full slice. It's, I call it the pizza shot. You know, when they cut the pizza in, in half the long way and I yep. call it the pizza shot. And I'm like, well, it's just a shot of pizza. I'm not having a full drink of pizza, but then I have like four shots. Yeah. I have like four pizza shots. And then all of a sudden I'm like, shit, I just said, I just had two slices of pizza. And anyway, I, I digress there for, uh, for a moment. So Erica, how, how do you personally overcome your limiting beliefs? I work through a three-step process. It's name it, question it, shift it, right? So number one, you have to be able to Seems name like it. It's like a dance move, right? I like know, a, right? Or like when I was getting like pop it, lock it. That's the you other thing the kids play. Pop you know. it, lock it, drop it. Yeah. You can tell where, where, where parents <laughs> of young children name, are. Yeah. Whatever that thing is that's holding you back. And I'll give you a perfect example. Please. So one of, one of my goals in 2023 was to ramp up my keynote speaking. And I went to a keynote speaker's boot camp. And didn't know anybody there, but I'm a very extroverted person. But I walk into this happy hour and I instantly realize that all of these people, they know each other already. No big deal. I start talking to them. I start realizing that these are like the Michael Jordans of keynote speaking. Okay. These are the people who charge $40,000. These are professional speakers. We've seen them. They're incredible. And I was like, holy shit. I don't belong here. Like this is out of, I, I have put myself out of my league. What the hell am I going to do? And I made it through this happy hour. I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I made it through it. As soon as it was like socially acceptable to leave, I bolted to the elevator. I mm. go up to go to my room and, and literally I had this aha moment. And I talk a lot about making sure that you seize on these aha moments when you have them. Otherwise, it's just going to pass you by, right? And you're going to go back to whatever you were doing. I had in this aha moment, this recognition of like, Erica, you are going through this true feeling of imposter syndrome. Like you paid to be at this boot camp, just like all of them, to be here. all of those mm-hmm. people did. Every single one of those true professional keynote speakers had to attend this boot camp for the first time once. Every single one of them. 
So you have got to change your mindset. And I was like, okay, I've got, this is just the start of the boot camp. I've got three days left. I can either go through the boot camp, sit quietly in the back of the room, take my notes and learn as much as possible, or I can go all in. I can go as big as possible, right? Paid, paid money either way, so I might as well go big. So I decided to go big. So anytime they said, raise your hand for an opportunity, I would raise my hand. I would speak up. I would put myself out there. And that alone gave everybody a reason to now talk to me, a reason to engage. Because they were like, oh, you're the girl that said this, or oh, you're the person that did that. Yep. So I started talking with these people more, forming connections and making friendships, right? But I had to have that, number one, the aha moment. I had to question myself. Erica, why are you feeling like this, right? I was feeling, you know, like this because they did have more experience than me. But then I had to shift my mindset to be like, is it true that you don't belong here? No. And they had to start somewhere. They had to start where you are. They they didn't just like get to that point. You start where you start, you know, and that statement alone for me is one that I love to go to because I love trying new things, but I will often get intimidated when I see others who are like the professionals at it. Everyone starts where they start. You know, if you're on a weight loss journey, you could have 10 pounds to lose or a hundred pounds to lose, but we all start where we start. Erica, who, who's who's your kind of like gold standard as far as keynotes? Who's who's a couple of the best that you've seen out there that you try to emulate one way or another? Cassandra Worthy is one of my favorites. I, lo- I love to follow her. She is, she speaks on change enthusiasm huh. and that we can harness our emotions in power change because let's face it, change is the only thing that stays the same. So Cassandra Worthy is one of my favorite. Ryan Estes is one of my um, mentors as well. He's a previous chief revenue officer. So he does really great with sales people. Um, those would be my top two right now. Have you have you seen or maybe seen on uh, on on YouTube Jesse Itzler? Yeah, he yes. he's he uh, he floored me last year at Gary V's VCon. It was pro- it was single handedly the best keynote I've ever seen. It was mm. not only the content of it; it was his storytelling, it was the emotion, it was his enthusiasm, it was his ebb and flow of energy, and he almost had a live DJ on stage like playing music while oh, he so was cool. doing certain parts of it. It was just a very interactive experience. And from a and everybody like it was like a standing oh it was a packed room it was crazy like people were just clamoring to see him, and for me that was like my kind of aha moment and I and and right after that I went to 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 London that summer last summer and I did my first two proper keynotes I've hosted plenty yeah. of panels I've been on stage enough but like first time a solo keynote and that's yeah. scary right it's scary to go up there and monologue and even if you have a couple of notes and prompts in front of you and slides it's a scary thing and you're looking out into this vast audience and it's just you and you're alone up there and i think that's one of the hardest things for people to do because innately most of us are not performers we're not professionally trained actors and and stage actors for us to go up on stage that part alone is the scariest part so you have to break through that and then the content everything starts to flow but it all starts with having that confidence in yourself so i want to talk comes- Please. I just want to add to that real Please. quick. When it comes to keynote speaking, number one, amazing keynote speakers, which we've all seen them, they make it look effortless, which is why no one realizes how tough it really and is. How much work they, they do, prep. Practice. They perform. They critique. They film. They rewatch it. It is an art, mm-hmm. right? It is, and it is incredibly hard. It's, it's a lot. They earn that 40, 50 K because they put in the work for it. They're getting paid for the work to go up there. And whoever booked them knows that they're going to be flawless. It's not me going up on stage and just winging it. 
Exactly. But they are so good. It looks like they're just winging it, you know, because it just flows out because they did the work. They did the work. I mean, I, I think I think Gary Vee is the only person I know that goes up there and does not do any work in, in any prep. But that's a whole history. So I want to talk about um, organizations such as Chief uh, for a moment that you're a member of. And yes. I had Lindsay Kaplan on my show and she's fantastic. Um, how important are, are those type of organizations for for supporting women? For me, it has been wonderful because not only is it challenging to be an executive woman, but it is very lonely. And I will give you a couple examples to that. Mm -hmm. Number one, I live in suburbia. Most of the women who are C-level women in my neighborhood are CEOs of their household, Mm -hmm. meaning they take care of the kids. They're not going into corporate America every day like I am, right? And that was a hard realization for me when I kept getting calls with other women to hang out at two o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm doing a strategy call. Like, what are you you talking about? No, you know? So that's step number one. But step number two, it really allows for support and it allows people to share their stories. So one reason that I have my podcast It's because it is a space for other women to share their stories so that other women can see pieces of them reflected in these stories and they know they're not alone, right? All of these women that have corporate America horror stories about coming up corporate are sharing them so that others can see it's not just them. But then it's almost like this secret society of like knowledge share Mm -hmm. in that we (laughs) – there's one really great uh, spreadsheet that everyone has access to if you – pay to play, for example. So you got to put your information in to get the sheet. Everybody's um, industry, how much money they make, how much stock they have, how much PTO they have. Well, there's there's transparency in this group. It is visibility and insight into this so that if you are a up rise and coming, like you're a VP going for a C-level job, this is what I should ask for because look at all these other women who are making it already, right? That is interesting. It comes, I mean, yeah. that, well, the part I love about Chief, it's a representation, right? It's a cross section of different levels and, and all really smart people, which kind of leads me to um, role models. And I, and I think it's tough for some women to have strong female role models because they don't know how to, um, it's one thing to have a role model that you're looking at, but it's another thing to ask for a mentor or, or, you know, that's a tough conversation. And I think men too, like being a mentor is almost even more rewarding than being a mentee, the, the ability to give back. So what advice do you give to, to women on the, uh, that are on the come up to find and ask for a mentor? That are wanting to find a mentor? Correct. Because that's tough, like to ask somebody for their time and to ask somebody for their energy and their wisdom for, for, for nothing. It is, but you know what? Like, I, I believe that if you have good intent and true intentions and you really want to learn, like these relationships become very, they're organic, but they're also right. very mutual. And it's ironic that you bring this up because I actually have a LinkedIn post halfway curated on my screen for somebody that considers me their mentor, okay? Mm -hmm. But I am giving them kudos on this post to being my mentor because Mm -hmm. they also teach me so much. That's what I'm talking about. Right, it's not just about me giving you this HR knowledge and advice. Yes, that happens. 
But it is this give and take relationship. And I'm very, very proud of this individual. She's come a long way. She's got, she's got the, the gumption, the growth mindset. Like she's going to be hella successful in whatever she does. But she is also just as much my teacher as I am hers. It's so interesting too. And I'm actually writing a note right now because I'm going to make a post about it too. So, so I mentor uh, Kevin on my team who works with me and is my partner on the Web3 side at, at uh, Probably Nothing Talent. And one of the greatest joys for me in my professional growth over the last year has been mentoring him because I've never considered myself a real leader of people in, in, mm-hmm. until the last couple of years and having folks underneath me in, in my business. And I found this just joy and passion from it. And I'm looking back on 20 plus years of experience in, in, in the workforce. I'm like, holy shit, I actually learned a lot. And I model that on some of the great bosses that I've had, the great leaders, the great mentors. But I also look back at the ones that I freaking hated. And for those Absolutely. reasons, those are the ones I try not to repeat that behavior. Just I think that's that's critical too. So let's let's bring it home here, Erica. Um, what gives you the most optimism about gender equality in the workforce moving forward? What are those What are those green flags that you're seeing out there that's really making you happy? Let's end oh this on a God. positive note. Yeah, no, I mean, I see more and more women are not afraid to ask, right? I see more and more women seeing the possibility, seeing the yeses, seeing the advancement, than seeing the obstacles, and they're actually doing something about it. I love it. And, you know, I love to ask every guest on my show two questions to kind of bring it home because this is my masterclass, and I'd love to listen to them all and put it all together. Erica, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on daily? Don't ever stop learning. Like, I know that is very cheesy, but I, I read so many books. I've already read 15 books this year. Wow. Good on you. I know (laughs) it's, it's a bit crazy, but I learn something every single day. And if I'm not learning, like I'm dead in the water, just consider me done. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. It's so funny. I, um, my, I drive my, my son home from school every day because his classroom is actually directly underneath me in the office building that I'm in. That's a story Ah. for another time. But every day in the car ride home, I say to him, tell me one new thing that you learned today, or what's the most interesting thing that you learned today? Cause I want to start to instill that in my kids. What was that uh, aha thing? And not just like, we played outside today. No, right. buddy, tell me something you learned today. So I, I love that piece of advice. And last but not least, you 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 look back on your, on your career journey and your life journey and the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations. And there had to be that thing, that aha, that person, place, or thing that always guided you in the right direction. We call it a beacon. We call it a lighthouse. But Erica Rooney, what is your compass in life? What is your North Star? Hmm. I feel like my North Star is honestly where I want my daughter and my granddaughter to end up. So it it is the potential. Yep. I dig it. I dig it. Eric Rooney, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I'm confident that everyone out there listening will gain a ton of value, and I hope that they enjoyed this conversation. Um, If you want to find Erica, we're going to link it up in the show notes. You can find her link tree. I'm not going to read that whole uh, URL here, but where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Learn more on LinkedIn. I'm huge there, so message me. Say You heard me on the podcast, and I will hit you right back up. And then also my podcast from now to next, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Check it out. It's a good one, folks. Erica, hang with me one second here. Uh, And everyone listening, again, if you like this episode, sharing means caring. Leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another. Find out more at thepodcast.com and catch us next week. 
for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>